Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. To me, my peace of mind and my sleep at night is worth more than X, Y, or Z. So I value that more than anything, because if you don't have a peace of mind and if you can't sleep at night, really, what is life at that point? Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors, and welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Julie Holly, and Julie is the founder of Three Keys Investment. She helps people like you find their freedom through multifamily real estate investing so you can live the life of your dreams. I love that. That's what it's all about. She's invested in single family homes, house hacked. She's managed properties from a thousand miles away, passively invested, and currently is passively investing in nearly 300 doors and another 68 in Atlanta, a general partner in 120. So you've got a lot going on there. So thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for coming today and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, I'm, I'm just excited to share space with you. We've already had a great <laughs> pre-conversation and everything. So I'm like, oh, I guess we should hit record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Exactly. And you, uh, you know, you always brighten up the room. So, so I'm definitely happy that you're here today and, and uh, I get to share with my listeners so let's get started. Let's, um, let's just jump into your background. I always like to start uh, to give people some context about who you are and, and how you got to be where you are today. I love that. And uh, by the way, I know I mentioned this, but for everyone listening, if this is your first time listening, definitely listen to all the podcast episodes because I've been binging on it and it's a fantastic, I just, I love listening to people's origin stories and I didn't realize how neglected that can actually be on shows. Um, particularly maybe my show. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is super fun. Um, yeah, so I actually come, I have a, um, a braided career history. That's the best way to put it, right? I haven't just had one single career and I haven't had any career that is, um, well, they've both been lasting over the last 20 years, but they've been going like being braided together in and out. And that's between real estate and education. And so I grew up in a single family home. We did not invest. It was single family sales, grandpa, dad. And then guess what? It's just kind of in the blood. At one point I did that, but before going into single family real estate, 
I decided that I was going to become a public school teacher because you know what? Real estate sales, and we can see it's getting ready to do its thing again. We all can see the writing on the wall. It's a feast or famine type situation. And that's what I grew up with, a roller coaster. And I didn't want the roller coaster. I wanted stability. I wanted predictability. And you know what? Teachers, they have like a very nice pension that happens. And so you didn't have to really worry about retirement planning. And it just felt so safe and cozy. And most importantly, as contributing to the world. I mean, we mm-hmm. can all agree that teachers are definitely investing in the future of our country in the world. And so I'm like, gosh, this is like everything that I need to be doing um, all wrapped in one. This is going to be perfect. So I go into public ed and by the way, FYI, this is like, I'm 22 years old when I first started teaching. And I just think now like, good golly, they let me, you know, (laughs) it's just wild. I was still a child. Um, So I'm in public ed and year three, they start handing out pink slips. And I am just like barely a couple rungs up from getting a pink slip or just even that possibility of being laid off. And that's when everything went haywire for me. And like, uh, wait a second, there isn't the security that I was looking for. I can get laid off. Government jobs are not as stable and solid as I believed they were. So I'm going to take a chance on myself. Like, why not just I've always been interested in going into real estate sales like Gramps and dad. Why don't I just do that? Because then I have control. So Mm -hmm. I'm a control freak a little bit. So (laughs) I go into real estate sales and kicked butt. It was great. But I also noticed that I was changing and I didn't like some of the changes with who I was and making a lot of money. And there was just, this is right before 08 crash. This is like 05, 06, right? And Mm -hmm. things are great. And if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. And there's just so much shady stuff going on. And I am very opposed to doing anything that is not like letter of the law, you know, like let's just do, follow the rules, do it the right way. And um, it just made me, it left a bad taste in my mouth. I thought, you know what? It's great. This money's super fun. So I know I can be successful at this. I know I can make a lot of money, but I don't like the people I'm working around and mm-hmm. uh, the things taking place. So I called the school back up and the school district talked to HR. I'm like, Hey, any positions coming up? And they found me a position. So compliment to me, I, in my opinion, like that they were like, we will find you a spot. And they found me a spot. I went back in. Um, and during this time I bought my first home and toilet sinking in the subfloor, rat feces around the perimeter, cobwebs, like it was like Indiana Jones. Like you, I went in with a shot back. It's like, like just, I mean, it was so you had to wear a mask. It was just like a total train wreck, 1938 vintage house train wreck. Okay. Mm-hmm. They lived there forever, but that was my first opportunity at investing. So it was my home. I was able to improve it. And then I was able to rent out a room in the house and have, you know, my, my mortgage offset. It was just this amazing eye-opening experience. And I thought, I'm just going to any house that I live in, I'm just going to keep, and I'm going to build a little portfolio. And, mm-hmm. and then when I retire someday from whatever I end up doing, I will have this little single family portfolio but you know what happens that you have kids you have kids (laughs) several yeah I know how that changes things oh my gosh it really does change things and so right before my son's born we had moved to Denver we're long distance landlords 
and this is right before the, literally we closed before the 08 crash, like days, moments before. And we sold our very first house, like the first house I bought, we sold it. We're like, we're not doing this long distance landlord thing. We're going to be totally debt free. We're going to have the savings and be cushy. So we kept doing this little back and forth between being long distance landlords. Um, and I just felt this very ill at ease sensation after we welcomed our second child and moved away again. And, and I'm managing this property from across California to Denver, Colorado, you know, it was mm -hmm. fine. I had, I was a great manager. I, I like, we had other, you know, a single family and it's like, everything was fine. We never had toilet issues. We never had the termites. We never had, we never had any of those big issues that we hear about. So I didn't have this bad, horrific, oh, I have terrible tenants. Like I had really high quality residents. They were really good people. Actually people who, one, I've mentored in rentals, but at the same time, it was one door, one door. And now I have a couple of kids and one door left this mm -hmm. vulnerability. It's like, yeah. oh, I know, I know we have the reverse. go up too. Right? <laughs> you're like oh my gosh I know we have the reserves if if we need if we have a resident move out that's fine we've got the reserves if we have a big expense I know we have it there but for me and I don't know if this is just a female thing a mama bear thing I'm not sure it could I don't know if it's how just a personality thing but I just was like I feel exposed I feel vulnerable I don't like the um the fact that really anything could happen and all of the income from the year is immediately annihilated. Yeah. I mean, that's not a, that's not a female thing or a mama bear thing. Okay. It's like a smart <laughs> business risk mitigation thing, right? Like you, you, you need to have uh, cushion and contingency plans and that's the problem, right? Like you said, one thing could happen. It could wipe all your profit out for a year. And, and that's, it's kind of like, you start looking at it and you're like, and how much profit am I actually making? I mean, rents yeah. were going up considerably and we could push it and it's fine. And we were, we were making, you know, 350 a month easily, you know, just off of one, one of our rentals, but it's like that peace of mind. And this is what I always come down to. And I know we're going to touch on choosing sponsors, you know, at some point. And like, yeah. to me, my peace of mind and my sleep at night is worth more than X, Y, or Z. So I value that yes. more than anything, because if you don't have a peace of mind and if you can't sleep at night, really, what is life at that point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we uh, really every, well, we know every loan that we've done, at least through, through my company now, when it's not just myself doing it is like, we, we always choose the non-recourse options, right? It's the same reason we could get a little bit of a lower rate taking on full recourse, but your, the ability to sleep at night significantly reduces when, when you're facing a full recourse option uh, versus non-recourse. So it's just, I totally get it. Like there, there's trade-offs between, it's not all about how to absolutely make the maximum dollars and cents possible. It's that trade-off of lifestyle and livelihood and peace of mind uh, that's critical. And so I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, it's, it, it, yes. So we're, we're on the same page and, you know, so it's great. It was a great starting spot, right? Mm -hmm. I understood I can manage, I can invest from far away. 
And that makes a lot of sense because I live on the Canadian border in the middle of nowhere. You were recently in Montana. I'm like, where? I mean, like, that's yeah. not, I mean, Montana. Not a lot of cell phone service out there. There's <laughs> not, not a lot of cell phone service where I live either. Right. So it's, it's like, you know, literally look out my window. I've got my mountains. I'm a happy, I'm a happy Beautiful. camper in my house. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, so it's like, you start evaluating things and, um, you know, that peace of mind is important. I can have these single family. I can manage them from far, far away. I know I can do all of this. However, that's not the play I want to have in my life. So we, mm -hmm. we sold and the money was sitting on the sidelines. It was driving me crazy. Meanwhile, I'm like going in and out. I've we had our kids, I was homeschooling our kids. And then we started a, a co-op homeschool co-op and I'm managing, this is like kind of along that timeline, right? I'm managing yep. the, the homes and stuff. And so it's always staying active in it in some capacity, but then, you know, I went back to public school ed and that's when I really got the itch. It was like, just told my husband that money is sitting on the sidelines and people listen, money sitting on the sidelines right now is money that is like, you're flushing down the toilet. It's like, you yes. don't want money sitting, especially now, at least at that point, you know, it wasn't, we weren't facing the inflation that we're fa facing now, but at this point, any money that is sitting in a bank account is literally just costing people money every day versus, Hey, I can invest it into this apartment complex. And now I don't know if you've, I, this is how I view it. And I know this is kind of like derailing a little bit, but I, I view, I view um, the multifamily assets now as banks. <laughs> Yeah. And so I've, I've told investors, um, you know, my investors, and as I meet new people, I'm like, just think you're putting your money. It's not into a traditional bank. You're putting your money into this property and that's your bank. Your money goes in. And as we give distributions, it's coming out at whatever inflation is, whatever the dollar is worth. It's like mm -hmm. current. So you're never having this uh, until we sell a property at the end, but along the way, you're just getting this like current market value dollar coming your way. And the rest of it's just growing and expanding with inflation. What do you yeah. think? Is that, <clears throat> I, I mean, I like that. I is like that a that. teacher I, way of doing it? <laughs> I think, well, I, I think it's accessible. You know, I think it's, it's something that people can relate to and understand. Cause I think that's one of the, the issues that, that we face in, in what we do is, is it's just, there's a lot of unfamiliarity around it and with unfamiliarity become comes this idea of, of risk, right? This, what mm -hmm. I call perceived risk, um, just because it's unfamiliar when, when in actuality, when you look at it, right, the risk profile, there's all different ways to do investing, right? But like from what I do and, and from what you invest in, it's the value add piece, you're relatively very low risk. And when you look at a risk adjusted, risk adjusted return standpoint, right? So, so I like, that that concept helps people kind of wrap their head around it. Because the one thing I wanted to like, just pause on was like, just the, uh, you know, public service announcement that like, please, yes, don't let your money sit in a bank account right now. I try, I'm trying to tell everybody this investors. I talk to your friends, family, like, look, invest with me or don't, but please just don't let it sit in a bank account. Because like you said, if inflation's running at eight, 9%, I mean, you're literally losing that every year. So it's not just a, it's, it's just not an option right now. It's not an option. You have to get active with it in some way. And so, yeah, I think that that's great. I think that's a good way to explain it and make it approachable. I think about them like businesses, which is similar. And I think it's also a way to help it be a little more, I guess, approachable for people, because I, I look at it as 
I'm buying a business that's been there for 30 or 40 years. It's existed yes. for 30, 40 years. It's cash flowed for 30 or 40 years. It's not going to go away overnight, right? Um, unless there's a fire or something, and we have insurance for that. But I was just going to say, and even that doesn't usually turn out to be a, a bad situation, provided no one's hurt or injured. It yeah. actually turns out to be great. Yeah, and you're appropriately insured, <laughs> you know, and yes. um, and that's like a whole different episode and a whole different topic. But right. but this idea of I think relating it to something that is more familiar, I think, is helpful to to help people kind of get over that hump of oh, this just seems different and and strange because as we know. Um, it's had a major impact in both of our lives. And, and that's a big part of this show too, is just helping people understand that you can't sit on the sidelines. You have to take control of your finances and multifamily investing is, is a great way to do that. It's a great supplement to anybody's portfolio, right? I, I can't imagine our portfolio without it. And like you said, it's a business and that right there can, is exactly what drew me into it. I told my husband, listen, I can't stand this money on the sidelines. And he is like, Okay. I mean, we have a healthy relationship of mutual respect. And so he's like, why don't you just do some research, figure something out and let's talk about it. And that's when I found syndication as mm -hmm. a vehicle. And mm -hmm. I was just over the moon. Like the moment I learned about it, it was at, like, literally my world was like this yeah. really happy, magical place. So I'm like, this is what I was looking for. I believe in, I know, I, I already live in a happy, magical you're, you're world. happy, but, magical place. Because I, <laughs> oh, I love real estate. I Real estate is just a beautiful um, asset class. It mm -hmm. does so much. I mean, it serves communities, it serves residents, it serves investors. So it's really, to me, it's just this magical investment already. Yeah. But what I loved about it when I, when I was learning about it, I'm like, this is what, this was the missing piece for my portfolio. I didn't want to go into small multifamily. You still have that, you still have that exposure in a duplex. I mean, sure it's 50-50 now, but I'm like, okay, yeah. what's something that is really fiercely more adaptable while still providing good? Cause like for me, contribution is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and people contribute in different ways. My personal thing is I want to help with, you know, the resident experience. Right. Yeah. And so now if I have this huge hundred plus unit complex, now I have, like you said, I have a business. I have all of my risk is being mitigated. All of my downside is mitigated in the business plan because a properly structured business plan is going to calculate all of those things. And right now, golly, if you look at some, some underwriting and it's like, yeah. hmm, okay, yeah. those are interesting assumptions. I'm not going to bank on those same things. Maybe you should right. adjust your cap rate a little more for your exit. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I do know. And I won't be taking that investment on. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, I, you brought up a good point though about the, I mean the assumptions are so critical, right? And and as you're thinking about um, we're thinking about the environment we're in, which there there's a lot of there's a lot of turmoil going on right now. There's just a lot of uncertainty, right? There there's interest, like on on a in a couple ways, right? Interest uh -huh. rates are are up, even though I, I watch the forward curves of interest rates every day. And, and we're actually down quite a bit on where we think the, the peak is going to be based on what people mm -hmm. are expecting. So that's positive. Interest rates are still up, right? 
relatively speaking, over the past 10 years, I mean, you look back in history, and this is where I get into the real econ stuff, because I'm an econ nerd, but like, we're still in a pretty good spot. If you look back at where we were in the 80s and 90s. Um, But then you look at rent growth, right, which is actually crazier than anything interest rates have done in that uh, a property or a city that we invest in Cincinnati, which has been like the sleepiest town through history from a rent growth perspective, you know, average 3% rent growth, has grown 28% year to date and is one of the leading cities in the country, which blows my mind. Um, But you look at these things going on and it creates a lot of uncertainty, right? And I think, I think people are trying to deal with, well, how do I, how do I, what do I make of all this and what should I be assuming, right? And and how should I be looking at these things? I think especially investors that are maybe just getting into this for the first time and don't have, haven't looked at hundreds or thousands of deals like you, right? And have context from other deals to to kind of play against. Um, So maybe that's something you can help educate some folks on. Like, Like when you're looking at the deal and you're looking at assumptions specifically, like rent growth, expense growth, uh, cap rates. What are things that you're looking for? And maybe, maybe there's ranges you like to be within. Maybe there's things that are like, oh, that's a red flag. You can right. share a little, a little bit with to give people some insight. You know, a couple of the key areas that I am looking for right now are rent growth. And while rent growth is, um, I believe that rents are going to continue to grow. And that is my assumption. I also am highly acutely aware that rents can also contract. And so as much as I want to like lean into my assumption that they're going to grow, I mm-hmm. also have this other part of me is like hyper aware, like a higher level of consciousness of since that is my assumption, I need to be challenging that assumption on every single deal. What are the mm-hmm. indicators that would lead us to believe that we can push the growth X amount of percentage? And it's deal by deal, right? Market by market, deal by deal, because was it being mismanaged or are we going to be doing a bunch of cap X? Is it, you know, like, and so like really looking into what is real reasonable for this asset, not what would I like it to be in the magical world? Like, no, no, because I always have to tell people I am an eternal optimist, but I have this realist that comes out that's like, because I'm aware of that, I have to be acutely like, okay, be aware. Where do you, where are rents for this business plan? What would actually be realistic? And so I think mm-hmm. if, if you are listening and you're looking to passively invest, you need to be asking the sponsor those hard questions, like digging into, well, why do you think the rents can go this high? And how are you going to ensure that? And what would happen if they didn't go that high? How is this business plan going to work out? So it's like, is this business, business plan for rents for anything? If any of these things do not work out, how is this business plan actually going to look? Because it's still, I, I think that we're probably aligned on that level of, um, I've put in the worst case scenario, and this is still going to be a good return for my investors. And so I feel very confident moving forward with this versus, and, and I've definitely walked away from situations where it's like, huh you know what, if that financing that doesn't have a cap on it, and if our business plan, if we can't sell in five years mm-hmm. and we don't have a cap on our interest rate and we don't have runway and we're going to have to re- wait, 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 hold on. So like making sure that's like different topic. I just transitioned yeah, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, but like no, making okay. sure like 
there's a runway on that loan that is huge to me. I don't like the financing could look a lot of different ways, but is there enough runway for contingencies? Can you mitigate the risk? You know, okay, great. You might have a floating rate and you've bought a cap, a rate cap, which Marcus and Millichap just released like, some really interesting information on that that people should reference. Um, oh, really? It's on my LinkedIn page. Yeah, I actually okay. posted the article because. I just thought it was good food for thought because they were looking at floating rates and cap rates and they were just providing a different context and mm -hmm. um, expanding upon those concepts and what they really cost you ultimately in the loan and what the exposure looks like. So interesting. definitely, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, and that's not my natural bend to read articles like that, but I pushed oh, myself. Like my, my favorite stuff, right? There. I know it's econ, right? Like I, I like, I, I do find it pleasurable to, because I want to be knowledgeable because in order to guide investors accurately and successfully, you need to be entrenched in those things. So mm -hmm. um, let me so, pause for breath and let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, there, there's a lot of good stuff there. I think to summarize a little bit, right. And, and maybe just blend in some of my own perspective as well. Yeah. So when we're thinking about assumptions, um, I think it's also important to look at history, right? Oh, and and so when we look at things, uh, because you're, you're, what you said, what I heard at least was that you have to kind of weigh how likely is this to actually occur, right? And, uh -huh. and that depends on different factors. It depends on what's happening in the deal, right? But there also is just this, this fact that there is a, a broader market out there, right? And that broader market and the broader macro things that are going on are, are also going to play into this. And so when we look at it, things like rent growth, for example, or expense growth. I mean, we're, we're definitely, you know, paying attention to what's happening right now, but we're spending a lot of time looking at like what's happened historically. Right. And because, because over time, there's always a reversion back to the mean, right. There's this, yep. there's this reversion back to an average. And so it's running at 20% this year, but if the average is 4%. I mean, over time, there's going to be this reversion back. And so yep. not that it's going to happen in five years, who knows, but I think when we look at it, at least without getting into too much detail, the idea is to just understand history and understand what's happened in that market historically, because, and then take into account things have changed. Maybe more people are flooding into that market than ever have before. And that's going to change things. Right. But just, I think even as a passive investor, understanding those points of context and I'm not even saying you have to go and like do all the research yourself, but ask those questions to the sponsor, ask the assumptions behind the assumptions, right? Like, okay, yes. well, you're saying it's going to grow 10%. Why? What are the factors uh -huh. that, you're, that you are showing? And I think that's what you're saying are showing yeah. that are going mm -hmm. to support that. Right. So it's like, it's like when you, when you write a paper in school, you got to cite your sources, right? You can't just <laughs> say all this stuff. So it's kind of, kind of a similar thing. And I think, I think that's, what's important maybe is the takeaway is like, make sure you're asking those questions and make sure they're citing their sources and, and that they have backup right at the end of the day. And definitely, um, I know you and I were, were talking about something kind of in prior to the show, just around, and I think it's around the same topic where, where you had a, an incident recently where you actually saw some things were going on, didn't like what was going on and actually decided to, to pull out uh, of the investment, you know? And so I know that, uh, I know that can be kind of a sensitive topic, but I think it's something that I bet there's people on this that are listening that have been in a similar situation and maybe they didn't feel, uh, 
maybe they felt bad about it. Maybe they felt confident. They didn't feel confident about it. Maybe they didn't back out when they felt like they should have. So maybe you can empower them a little bit to, to know what to look for and know that that's okay. Yes, yes, yes. So um, it's not kosher. It is not kosher to, uh, to commit to something and then to withdraw from something. In my estimation, when I commit to something, it's like I am committed to this. Um, and yet we spoke earlier about that sleep at night policy I have, right? And um, without getting into to the deal itself, I, I like the people involved. I like the asset, but there was something that like, this is going to sound woo to people. It's going to sound however it's going to sound, but I wasn't sleeping. Like I got into the deal. Um, I'm talking to my investors. It's like just something wasn't matching up. There was this misalignment and I wasn't disregarding that. So I've been spending time over the last year and a half trying to learn how to listen to my intuition better because we're told so often that we need to have the data to back up anything that we're doing, have the science, have the data. Um, and really we're not, especially in Western culture condition to trust ourselves and our, just our, our intuition. And so I was just started like really leaning into that, like asking myself those just tough questions. Like, why am I feeling this way? I, I was excited about this. I'm excited about partnering with these people. I'm excited about the location. I'm excited. Like, so with all of these great things and then challenging, okay, is this just nerves? Is this just this? You know, there are lots of elements that go mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. when you're bringing in, if you genuinely care about your investors and those, my investors are, I mean, I'm just going to be a stone wall to protect the <laughs> investors, right. In my community. And so when you think about that, there are a lot of, uh, there's, there's a whole nother layer that goes into your investing, right? When you're bringing investor in their capital into it, because you, I know my investors, I know they're, what they're trying to accomplish and I want to support that. And I never want to lose their money. So I just, I'm, I'm like, okay, is this just what is going on? Ultimately can, it was a level of intuition and I trusted it. And since have had somebody come to me who was going to participate in the deal and brought some information that I didn't have. So if I had not listened to my intuition mm -hmm. <laughs> and withdrew from that and just said, I don't know why I don't normally do this. This isn't a normal business practice of mine, but I am going to take a risk on this because that mitigates the risk for my investors. And so I would rather lose my face than lose my investor's dollar. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, no, I, and I really so appreciate that. Yeah. I think that, you know, and your, your intuition is developed over, um, you know, again, seeing hundreds, thousands of deals, right. And seeing these different things. And there's so much in your subconscious that you pick up that you don't even know yes. that you're seeing and, and something, and whether, whether it was details or whether it was body language or whether it was something, something didn't sit right. And I, and I really do wholeheartedly believe that that is something that we need to pay attention to, um, you know, not just in investing, but in life, right. We get these gut feelings and like, those really do mean something. So, no, I, I think it was, uh, I think it's admirable of you to, to take the hit and, and protect your investors. And I think that that's, I mean, I think that's a benefit for, for folks that, that are newer, you know, in aligning themselves with someone like, like you, because you've seen a lot, you've done a lot and um, you just have that context to know, right. You know, what, what's working, what doesn't. And, uh, 
and those long-term relationships, right? So I think that there's there's definitely value there. And I think that that's, um, but no, I think that's good. So so you saw something you didn't like, you, you were able to kind of, you know, you're able to step out of it. And, and that kind of leads to where I wanted to go next, really. So we'll just go there is, you know, in your role with what you do, I look at it and correct me if I'm wrong is, you know, really first you're picking the sponsor, right? You're choosing the people mm-hmm. that you want to deal with. You're, you're choosing, uh, you know, people use terms like you're choosing the jockey, right? Right, um, right. And so, and you're really trusting then that they're going to make those uh, those right decisions, you know, the right markets, the right submarkets, the right deals, and that they're, they're going to run it effectively. And I'm sure you do a lot to, to vet that out. Um, and that's kind of what I want to get into is, because it's something we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time at least messaging on this show of the sponsor is more important than the deal, right? A good sponsor can save a bad deal and a bad sponsor can kill a great deal. Uh-huh. And, and, and there's really nothing more important than that. And so what are some, I guess, how do you pick the people that you want to work with? I'm Yeah. Okay. I'm going to get into that. And I'm going to say bet on the bet on the jockey, not the horse for sure. And making uncomfortable conversations to investors that have already, you know, gone in and registered for a, for a deal and saying, having to have that call, like, Hey, I'm just letting you know that our company is backing out. You're still welcome to be in it. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every, every one of those calls, the investor response was no problem. No problem. We're following. We will. We'll just wait. We'll wait till you bring us the next one. Like it's totally fine. Like we trust. We trust your. And to tell them, like, it, this is intuition. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything at this moment. I just. I would rather protect you. And I've never felt like this. So I'm just going to roll with that and protect you. You know. So so it was nice mm-hmm. to have that investor response. Mm-hmm. But that is one of the critical things. How do you know that your sponsor is going to actually go to bat for you? How do you know that? everybody on the GP is um, acting in your best interest and not trying to pad their own pockets, right? And that's character. And so for me, when I am looking at sponsorship teams to work with, there are people that I would, at this point, everyone I've partnered with are people I've known for a minimum of one year. And in general, that is kind of my, one of my vetting processes is like, how long have I known you? actually known you. How long have I been tracking with you? What am I seeing from you? What are I'm, what am I seeing in your deals? So it's not just this like, oh my gosh, we met at this conference and it was so much fun. And like, let's go partner up. It's, I really want to know right. who people are because people's character and those little knee-jerk reactions that come out on social media, on their personal page or whatever, like they're, it doesn't mean they're a bad person or a good person. It's not a value statement. It just says, is this a person that I want to align with? Is this a person where I want to bring my investors to the table with? Um, so I think really understanding and being confident in somebody's character is my absolute number one, number one thing. My second, which this is very different from most people can't. So I'm like, I'm the one off, you know, probably because I, you know, I do high performance coach and I do a lot of mindset work. And so I do come at it from a different approach, but if somebody has solid character, they will do what's right, no matter what, like they're, 
okay, people, I mean, people do make mistakes. So, but when they make a mistake, that's really what, when it counts, like, how are you going to respond to, right. you know, whatever happened and are you going to own it if it was a mistake on your part? And how, let's see how that goes. The other thing I am always aware of is how can I show up in this partnership and investors, limited partners need to feel that same way towards the team as well. Am I comfortable picking up the phone and making that phone call to ask questions that might be perceived as quote dumb. Are they going to be condescending to me? Will they have time for me? Am I going to feel like they're putting me off? And, and so if like, there has to be a relationship for everybody involved. So from a limited partner to, you know, their connection to the sponsorship team, like they need to be able to feel that level of connection. And this is for, this is like, three keys investments level. Okay. Like a little concierge service. And then everyone on the general partnership for me, if I don't feel that way with the entire team, then we have a problem because there can't be any communication gaps within a team. Everyone needs to be feel that, okay, we're equally comfortable. We're competent. We respect each other and we're going to link arms. If something starts to go south or we need to just gird things up, we know that we don't have a weak link here at all. So I think that those are maybe some things that are the one-offs that people haven't heard um, so much. There are other ways you can do, you can do the profile check and get the PI to do the background check. I think that's a great idea too, but I like, there are lots of other things to do, but those are my two critical ones. So character and, and communication is kind of what I took away from that is, um, yep. and that, that makes, I mean, yeah, it makes, a, it makes sense. I think it's hard to, character is the hardest thing to nail down, right? Um, as we talk about, I mean, we talk about integrity, but it's the same thing. It's, yeah, uh, it's doing what's right when nobody's looking, right? And, um, and that, that is probably the hardest thing to nail down. I think the only way that you do that is, is by engaging with them over time. And I think that's difficult for individual investors who are kind of in and out, you know, and like want, want one deal, but aren't constantly in this space. It, it can be tough to, have, to take the time to be able to build that relationship. And so I think that, I mean, that's kind of your value, right? You're building these long-term relationships. You're doing that pre-betting. You're validating um, that character and, and people know because they can align with you that if you align with that person, that there's kind of that, that transfer there. So I think that makes sense. And then communication is, so critical. I mean, I, I've been, when I, I started as a passive investor and that was one of my big things I hated is like, you would invest 50, a hundred thousand dollars with someone. And then you just wouldn't hear from them for like six months. And you're like, I just can't what, even imagine what's going that. on. <laughs> what's like, going on? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a big, that was a big takeaway for me. It was like monthly communication, nothing uh-huh. big. I mean, nobody wants to read a novel, but just just so you know that, that I'm thinking about you and we're working on it and stuff is happening, you know, I think is important. And then I guess the other thing that you said was just, and I guess this goes back to character, but just the willingness to communicate what I, what I think of as like the news, like good, bad, or indifferent, you know, it's 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 gotta be delivered and not, not hiding the bad stuff, not overly focusing on, on the good things, but just being, being very matter, matter of fact about it. And like I said, delivering the news. And so, yeah, I mean, those are, those are good points. I think those are things that people can, can take away and, and focus on. And, um, and again, ask questions about, right. As people think about how do they make uh, their own investments? So, yeah, you know, are- 
yeah, can, isn't it? I'll add to that really to your point also is that it is challenging for, you know, our professionals that are, you know, limited partners and they love their job. So many people actually truly love what they do. And so, you know, that's why they're a limited partner. They want to make a, a wise investment, but they want to continue in their career path because they love yeah. it. And so um, having those relationships, like how do you develop those relationships without like sucking all the life from your time? Well, you listen to podcasts like this, yep. you know, and you see, oh, Kent shows up and he shows up consistently and he's consistent with people. And this is how, you know, I think that when you have someone that's creating um, content and just creating a lot of content, especially over time, that's a great way to vet somebody. It's like, oh, wait, this person's mm -hmm. been doing this for a long time. Like, trust me there will be a time when they mess up, <laughs> you know, like, like, like if yeah. somebody's trying to put on a show and it's just a show, it, the, the facade is going to go away in time. But mm -hmm. also I'm, I'm, I would imagine you've done this also, but if I've had investors that need to place capital and I know that it needs to be placed right away and I don't have something that is going to be in their time frame, then I can say, Hey, you know what? Kent has a deal. And he's somebody that I would, I would trust my money with. And I know he has an opportunity for you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody that is really looking out for your best interests, then they can also connect you with other people that are probably birds of a feather. And so yeah. once you're aligned with somebody that you truly know, like trust, um, if you come into that situation where you need something, they, sh they were probably going to be the people that are going to help you get there. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I think that just shows, it shows a selflessness too, right? You're doing what's best for the investor, not what's best for you, because the best thing for you is keep their money on the sidelines until you have the next yeah. deal, right? Um, but that's not, this is a long-term game and that's not how you build long-term relationships, right? I think that selflessness is, is key. So I commend you for that. Um, I wanted to, to switch gears a little bit to the coaching side, because I think that a lot of what you coach on a lot of the mindset work, I think it plays, I think it's so important with investing. I think that we talked about, we talked about a while back, like this idea of this perceived risk or this, uh, this difficulty of kind of going into the unknown. And, you know, I know I experienced it personally when I started investing in real estate, it's just very unfamiliar, right? And when something's unfamiliar, it can be difficult to take that step. And, that's all mindset, right? It's, it's limiting beliefs. Um, I mean, when I, when I talk to investors, I find a lot of it almost turns into like, a, you know, I don't want to say necessarily therapy, but it definitely is kind of a helping them have certainty so that they can, they can make the right decision that I know ultimately is going to, is going to be best for them because I've experienced the same thing, you know, in my own life and in my own finances. And so it's, it's kind of, right? Helping people pass their own limiting beliefs and, and the own things, there are things that are in their head, right? That have been built up over the years and their belief system. So I say all that because how do you help folks make that first step to be able to go from something that seems maybe very scary or at least unfamiliar, um, but to be able to take that step to actually start receiving those benefits this then versus just doing during the same old, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I always just think also fear is in our mind. Danger is something that's real right now. 
our mind will tell us to be afraid and we have to like differentiate between like is this a danger and an immediate threat or is this just fear that's clouding my vision and everything mm -hmm. but when i you know for, oftentimes for passive investors making that first step and really most human beings i found people clients that i've coached it all starts with vision what do you what do you see what do you see in your life like so really someone needs to understand like well why do i want to have this investment portfolio that includes multifamily or stocks or crypto or whatever like what is my ultimate goal and really cultivating like a clearer vision for what they want in life um i always call it ideal self some people call it future self it doesn't have to be a certain age it's just where, what is that, that you want to grow and evolve into? Mm -hmm. um, and once there is a, once there's an, a concept there, then we can go into clarity and clarity is where confidence comes from. Clarity is where action comes from, but you can't have clarity until you understand. So it's like trying to bake a cake and say like, I don't know what kind of cake, but I'm just going to throw these ingredients together and get what I get. Like, yeah, you, that's not going to work. And so really being clear, oh, you know, what? I'm going to bake a rainbow cake for my daughter's birthday, and it's going to have these colors. And it's going to have these sprinkles and this, I, I, you can tell I've done this, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's very clear. And the vision is clear. You can, you can see the towering cake and go to my mm -hmm. Facebook profile. There's probably a picture there. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> you can, once you can see it, once you can see what you want in life, unfortunately, most people don't take time to develop that vision. We're so busy going through the day to day, you know, managing our careers, you know, enjoying our family and trying to nurture and cultivate relationships, right? That we don't actually take time to just kind of pull back and get quiet and still. And what is this all about? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like being at the Denver airport on the little people, people mover thing and going fast. And it's like, you get to the end of it. And you're like, what gate am I at now? What is this? Hey, yep. you just don't even step on it. Stop, get like develop that vision, see what you want in your life. And then you can, you can develop the clarity that will develop that confidence to take the first step. That is like super nutshell. There's so much more yeah. that goes into that, but that's where I believe like the foundation starting block is right there. Yeah. And I think that the idea of like, I just, I love the idea of your like identifying your, your purpose or, or, you know, I guess for me, it was called purpose. I mean, for others, maybe, it is, maybe it's goal. Right. And, and then saying, you know, when that purpose or goal is greater than your fear, I think is when you'll, you'll take the action. Right. So if you're clear, like you said, getting really clear on, okay. Cause you think, Oh, I've heard people are investing in real estate. I should invest in real estate. Right. But, but why, and what's that going to do for you? Right. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's probably where you help people get really clear on that. And you get to that why, and you get maybe three or four steps down into that. Why? Well, you know, you want to you want to make, I want to make more money. Well, why, you know, well, because I want to um, be able to retire early. Well, why? Well, because I want to spend uh, more time with my family, right? Okay, like now it's something that we can work with, right? When you say, okay, and you, and maybe there's even deeper levels than that, but at least there you're you're saying, okay, and they, because I want to spend more time with my family, because I want to be present for my kids, I'm willing to take the extra effort. It, it's not always easy to invest in these deals because they say it's passive, but you got to do some work, right? You got to read some paperwork, you got to understand things. I think that's where 
that little bit of extra understanding and that, that deeper mission can help you get, get through those things. Right. And get over that. And I think that like, I, I relate it to me when I started my podcast, it was a very uncomfortable experience for me because <laughs> I I'm not really a in your face wanting to be in the spotlight type of person. I'm introverted. And it was, it wasn't until my mission became greater than my fears, my mission to spread the word about real estate and investing, because I saw the power it was having in my own life. Mm -hmm. uh, that was greater to have an impact on people than my insecurities of, oh, I'm going to sound terrible and no one's going to listen to me and all this, right? This, the junk I'd built up in my head, only once my mission was greater than my fear, could I actually act on it? And could I actually get out there and start doing it? And now we're a hundred something episodes in, and now it seems pretty easy, but you have to, you have to get started and you got to get like, it's, so it's just, it's that first step is like, how do you help people get there? I think is so important. So, so I like that. I like this idea of define your vision, your goal, whatever you want to call it and be really clear, like three, five levels deeper, like why, 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 why you want that. And, and it's also who, who, so really what you discovered, and this is really one of the ultimate discover discoveries is like, who am I in this world? Mm -hmm. So I have a very deep belief um, that we are created hardwired. I talk about it all the time. Like we're all uniquely created with something to contribute to this world. Yeah. And it often gets masked. And even the, even the why of, I want to, I want to have these things so that I can spend time with my family. That's still masking the ultimate contribution that you have. That's a moral obligation, a moral responsibility. A like, that's a natural thing. So there's actually something even more in every single person beyond their family. Mm -hmm. And so like really peeling back and saying, what do I really want to contribute to the world? And what do I believe that is? And how do I unpack that? I like that. I like that. That's going much deeper. And yeah, your, your moral obligation. I like that to be able to, to provide more. Right. And, and that's what, when I look at it, it's like, what are you achieving by having, let's say financial freedom, right? You, and time freedom. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what financial freedom actually mm -hmm. gets you, right? It's really yeah. time freedom. It's really the freedom to be able to do what, whatever you want. And, and a lot of people, I think when they can do whatever they want, because they're financially free and they're not tied to a desk all day is to, you know, go after their, their highest best use, right. Which I think ultimately will contribute more to society. So like, that's kind of the idealistic goal of all this, right? Like when you get down a few, a few layers. Yeah, it's huge. Vivid vision, um, by Cameron, uh, is that his last name or first name, but that's a fantastic book. If you're listening yeah. and you're, you're like, okay, well, I want to learn more about that. My book club is currently reading the book and, nice. So I'm not all the way in through it and everything, but definitely it's, it's content where I would, it would make developing and cultivating your vision more accessible mm -hmm. for sure. Oh, very cool. Well, we'll make sure that we get that listed in the notes for yeah. people. Easy read also fast and easy. <laughs> also helpful. Also helpful. Yes. <laughs> well, so Julie, I I've just enjoyed talking with you so much before I let you go. I want to take you through our keys to success round. There's four questions I want to ask you. The first one, which is just so up your alley, is if you were going to invest your money, or I guess in this case, your investor's money with someone in a deal, and you could only ask them one question, what would that one question be? 
Mm. Let me have the number of your best friend, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding you. (laughs) Let me have a number of, and I would probably ask for a few numbers and get on the call and get on the phone and, and talk to some people in their life. Yeah. And tell me what you're looking for. That's so funny, right? Well, you go back down to the character, yeah. right? And it's in casual conversation where you discover the most. So, you know, you, you shoot the breeze with somebody's buddy and you can, you know, in a friendly way, you can learn a lot about who they are and how they respond to life. And it's mm-hmm. friendly, it's well-intentioned, but you know, what is their character over time? Because it will reveal itself or, you know, you talk to their investors, they will tell them, oh yeah, they communicate. They have monthly emails or I have, I have one investor that is a first time investor. And, and if the newsletter is going for an update's going to be a little bit late, I know I'm going to like send a text to him just, Hey, I just want you to know, I want to make sure I send out all the information I'm waiting on this last piece. Right. So you want to like be able to hear from the investor experience and you want to, you know, if you could talk to a friend, that's something I think it's. That's good. I've not, that's, I think that's a first. I've not heard that one, but I I know it makes a lot of sense (laughs) because if you know who somebody is, you will know what they are going to do. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know who they are, then Mm -hmm. what they will do is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's really insightful. What are you most proud of in your career? Wow. Uh, you know what? I w- I'm going to say that's like, whew, I have to like make sure I'm not being egotistical, right? You know, everybody probably is like, oh. um, I would say really just uh, I've got grit and I've said no a lot. And I'm really proud of myself for that, for an eternal optimist who can see the bright side and everything like to say no and to not take opportunity that would advance my career and advance my, my place within the industry and such in a, in a more, in a rapid way, Mm -hmm. um, because of my deeper convictions and just holding up to those convictions Mm -hmm. has been, um, honestly a huge personal growth experience. I went an entire year without doing a deal and it was extremely painful and humiliating and like what's wrong I just I had to go through my own internal dialogue and deal with those and it really made me so much stronger to say to look back at the end of that year and just to be disappointed that I hadn't done a deal but then to look back and say but you you made all the you called all the right shots mm-hmm. and you can see where some of those things have led and you mm-hmm. called the shots the right way so it's fine. All things will come in the right time. So I think that grit to stick, to stick to the convictions and the principles is, has made me proud of myself. That's, that's good. Congratulations. I think that's extremely difficult, you know, to have those, have the shiny objects in front of you and and say no and stay aligned to your, uh, your deeper conviction. I think that goes back to understanding what is your, your vision, right. Or what is your purpose? Um, if you don't know, you'll go a million different directions, you know, and, and those directions may not all be aligned with, with, with who you truly are. Um, so I think, again, go back to the vision and then that's allowed you, you have a strong vision. It's allowed you to stay to your convictions. So absolutely something to be proud of. So you mentioned a book just now. It can be the same book. Maybe you got a different book though. I know you have a book club, so you probably have a, an abundance. I'm like, so what's book? one book that everybody should read? Okay. I can't give one. I'm going to give two. 
Okay. And, and that's just how it's going to go down. I'm <laughs> che- I, I, they, they're, they're related books, we'll say. Um, High Performance ha- Habits by Brendan Burchard. Um, especially for, for those of you that are listening, more than likely you are a high performer. <clears throat> when I read that book the first time, it was balm to my soul. I had no idea I was this the way I engaged the world always felt a little different. And that book just led me to understand myself better. And most people in the multifamily investing space are very much high performers. And so I think that it's a very much a, it'll lead you to introspection. It'll lead you to um, really good uh, ways of working with yourself and leveraging how you are wired so that you can live a more balanced life, like a whole, mm-hmm. whole life. You know, it's all about, you know, did I love well, did I lead well, am I leading a meaningful life and having deeper relationships. So it's a fantastic read. Uh, Brendan Burchard, high performance habits. I will love also, that. I'm also going to say, super coach by Michael Neal. So it's a a different book. It challenged me in different ways. I don't agree with all of it. And that's why I love it. Like always challenge yourself. Don't just read Mm -hmm. things that make you that are an echo chamber, read things Mm -hmm. that come from a different perspective that, I mean, that was one of the most, um, a second, like aha book, just because I'm like different perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for Mm -hmm. sharing those. We'll make sure those are all listed below. So guys go click down. You can and you can get them. And lastly, what is your number one key to success? Serve. Treat others well, like, like serve others. If you are uh, like my grandpa, my dad, my whole life, everything's taught me, you know, if you take care of other people, it will all work out for you. Like, Mm -hmm. don't worry. Don't worry about I could say no for a year to deals because you know what, if I'm taking care of you, it's all going to in over time in life, all things work out. So, you know, serve others, take care of others and you can sleep at night. Which at the end of the day is probably the most important thing, right? (laughs) Right, Exactly. Yeah. Now, Julie, I've had just a joy having you on. I appreciate your personality and uh, all that you bring to the table and your perspective. And so thanks for coming on to the show and sharing that with my audience. And I just, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun and it's great to see you again. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.